Good morning, everyone. This is your host, John, of the Research Review. I am here with another excellent researcher today, Alex. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, I'm Alex Bathrick. I'm a junior here at Kent State. I major in classics with a concentration on classical civilization as well as history, and I'm minoring in Latin. What got you started into research? Where did you start into research? And where are you at now within your project? I did not know I was going to get into research over this summer, but I did get a question posed in a couple of my classes that interested me a lot. I had two professors who were teaching me about the Roman poet Ovid, specifically his work, the Ars Amatoria, The Art of Love, which is framed as a handbook on picking up women, keeping women, as well as for women to properly respond to being picked up and how to continue the relationship with the man. One of my professors told me that she very strongly believed it was satirical, that it was making fun of Roman society, it was making fun of how Roman men acted towards women, how Roman women acted towards men, the stereotypes. It was a little over-exaggerated. That's what she told me. And I brought that to another professor of mine who told me that he didn't necessarily believe that while he knew that Ovid was famous for satire. He told me that he believed it was just written as a handbook. That was basically it. And that just got me really interested in answering that question for myself. And that's how it all started. Now, real quick, what is the difference between a handbook and satire? To be written as a handbook, it would just be written as instructions, basically. Whereas for satire, it would be making fun of them, over-exaggerating their behaviors, making fun of their behaviors. So, very conflicting. I know you said your professor's opinions. What do you think it is? Do you think it is a handbook or do you think it's satirical? I go back and forth about as many times as I read it. There are definitely a lot of satirical elements, no matter whether it is satire or a handbook. Where do you stand right now? Do you think it's a handbook or do you think it's satirical? I know you said you go back and forth, but given your literature review so far, where do you stand? Personally, with what I know about the Roman people at that time, I somewhat think that it leans more towards satire. (laughs) It could be a handbook, but I don't know if they would go that far. You mentioned to me earlier that he was very controversial even in his time. Yes, there were a lot of people who enjoyed what he was writing, a lot of people who found humor in it. But at the same time, the Roman emperor at the time, the first Roman emperor ever, Augustus, actually exiled Ovid shortly after he wrote the Ars Amatoria and published it due to immorality. Really? He did, which, again, looking at the Romans at that time, it's kind of funny that Augustus would go that far, but then again, he did have a strong stance on trying to clean up Rome. Mm -hmm. Now, you said it was a little surprising for Augustus to go that far? As, As I'm sure a lot of people who look into classical history know, 
Rome was not free of debauchery at all. Rome was definitely more um, sexist, misogynistic than modern day strict um, gender roles with men living the public life and women relegated to managing the household, managing the children, even having less names than a man. Mm -hmm. Were all cultures like this back then or just specifically Rome? Not all cultures were like that back then. There's a lot of ties I learned in one of my classes. Strict gender roles like that tended to develop along with civilization and urbanization. In earlier societies like um, Mesopotamia, for example, those very early societies had much less strict gender roles even before that when humans were nomads, hunter-gatherers, much less strict gender roles, not an emphasis put on gender. Gender roles as we see them today tended to develop along with the idea of a man wanting to continue his bloodline, his lineage for power. Right. You think that's kind of how gender roles have developed like even before Rome? Oh, definitely. Interesting. Now, during your literature review, what's been some of the most interesting stuff that you've learned? Have you come across a lot of things that explain about gender roles or more focusing just on the the Arizamatoria? I was more focusing on the Arizamatoria. For the gender roles, I've used a lot of what I've learned in classes. Shout out to Dr. Ann Maltempe. She did a lot in her class that I was in that covered gender roles and sexuality as it developed from the earliest known periods of civilization to today, basically. I learned a lot from her. What are some of the things that you've learned about the developing of gender roles in that class? Gender roles developing with civilization, with urbanization, with the idea of wanting to keep a secure bloodline. More restrictions were put on women as men decided they wanted to ensure their bloodline continuing. They wanted to prevent children that weren't theirs. A lot of it just has to do with heredity and the pursuit of power, which became a very male-centric thing. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think that's starting to make a turnaround now in modern-day society? I do. I do. Especially with so many new ways of thinking about both gender and sexuality. I think that the newer generations, the younger generations are thinking more about love in their relationships than continuing a bloodline or heredity. I think that is definitely making things better for all genders. Mm-hmm. I think we need to stay on that right direction and level things out a bit. Definitely. Of course, women's rights have come a long way just in the past, like, half century. They're not completely done advancing yet. Quality is still something that women should strive for. But we've come a long way, and I hope we continue to go a long way, both for women and for all genders, because the patriarchal hold on society is again something that developed with civilization and isn't good for anyone not even the men Mm -hmm. it puts too harsh of standards on everyone 
Now, considering how far ago Rome was and where we're at today, we've made we definitely made progress, but oh, it's, yeah. it's been moving very slow if you look at that time period. What are some ways that we can advocate for more equality and excel that process in the future? One of the most common things I still see today that is a symbol of inequality between men and women is the wage gap. It is real, no matter what some people think, and it is devastating. Not only in normal jobs, but like if even if you look at sports, women's sports, women athletes are paid so much less than men athletes mm-hmm. for risking their bodies doing the same strenuous activities. And that's that's absurd to me. And it's not even well, it is the pay. it's the pay and also the treatment of the, the treatment. two different teams. Yes, I remember during COVID times, I believe it was college basketball. The teams were traveling. The men had a full workout facility with barbells and plates and everything, just as you would see in a normal college gym. And then the women had a couple of yoga mats and dumbbells on the floor. Yeah, that that's absurd. Mm-hmm. And that was only a couple years ago. And treatment of women outside of sports as well. The amount of times young women have to go through being catcalled on the street. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I wore short shorts as a young woman, I got catcalled. The first time. There's, There's a lot of men that treat women as inferior in one way or another. There's a lot of stigma around women and still being subjugated to the house, the kitchen, the children, not seeking out as prestigious of jobs. And it's gotten better, but there's there's still a long way to go. And yeah, yeah. no, I definitely agree with you. Personally, I think young men should be educated more about this the same time as puberty. I agree. I agree. Young men should be educated on how to treat women. I haven't heard stories such as you shared until I came to college and realized, well, the treatment is a bit of an issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it would help a lot of young men learn more as they were developing and, you know, while they're in high school as well. And for women, it's not the same at all. Our education from the moment we start developing is all about protecting ourselves from men, be it men our age, boys, or older men. Mm-hmm. We are taught to cover up, to be modest, to know when to get help, to run away, scream fire if you're being followed, because if you just scream help, people won't help you. Right. I think the best way to advance this quality gap is to incorporate education on equal treatment along with sex education for uh, younger men. And obviously that wouldn't fix the problem, but I think it would I think it would definitely help. Definitely, especially because young men, it seems from what I've heard from you, don't learn about that. What they learn from is figures on TV, father figures, I would say. Mm-hmm. People like Andrew Tate. Oh god, people <laughs> like Andrew Tate. Yeah. People like Andrew Tate. Mm-hmm. He reminds me a little bit about the character you were talking about from, from Rome. About Ovid? Mm-hmm, about Ovid. Kind of like a modern-day Ovid. He was, ju- <laughs> he was just canceled. He is now banned from all social media platforms. Just like Ovid was exiled from Rome. Granted, who knows, maybe it was satire and Ovid wasn't that bad. I guess we need to have you back on the podcast when you figure that out. I'd be glad to. <laughs> 
Now, going back more into Ovid, Azamazatoria? Arzamatoria. And the Arzamatoria. What is your literature review like for that? I know in most STEM-focused research, people go into an online academic database, they find a group of, say, 40 papers, read through all of those, and then compile them into a summary of literature review in a paper. I first read through the Arzamatoria the best I could in both English and Latin, as I, I'd like to think that I'm fairly fluent with Latin at this point. And then I did compile a lot of opinion pieces, a lot of writings on Ovid's work, specifically relating to gender. There were not as many as I would expect, honestly. I went into it thinking, wow, is this a niche that hasn't been filled, really? It it surprised me, but I did learn quite a bit about what people think, both what people thought in Ovid's time and what people think now. The Ars Amatoria was actually taught in schools in different cultures for hundreds and hundreds of years. Really? Yes. That's strange. Now, how many translations did you read of the Arzamatoria? Of the Arzamatoria. I read around three good English translations that were all highly rated. Do you think they were accurate? I do think they were accurate from what I gathered from reading it in Latin. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are nuances to Ovid's words. He was very clever. He used a lot of wordplay. But I feel like those translations did a pretty good job of getting the meaning across. Uh, you think they are consistent as well, the three translations? Fairly consistent, yes. Okay. Now, what were your majors again? My majors are classics and history. Classics and history. What would you like to do once you continue from undergrad? I actually would like to go forward and study library science. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I want to do with it yet. There are many, many options in library science branching out into, you know, K through 12 school librarians, research librarians, normal everyday librarians, archivists even. What is an archivist? They take care of, well, archives. That's where some a lot of the older stuff is kept a lot of like the 12th and 11th floor of the library right i think so yeah i've always wanted to go up there but they're locked yeah there's there's archives and special collections mm -hmm. here at kent that i honestly really intrigue me i would love to try and get a, some a student job there at some point just to see what goes on i'm no i'm no expert in what archivists do but the preservation and restoration of old texts really intrigues me mm -hmm. no that's very cool i expect you to take me up there if you do get a student job um within the archives because it's such a mystery oh if i can i will with your current research right now and the research you've done during undergrad how do you think that's going to benefit you in the future in your future career and your future studies, given I, the knowledge that you've learned? I definitely think getting experience in research in general on how to research, especially in the fields that I'm in, was very beneficial to me. I think that everyone should get this kind of opportunity if they seek it. Because definitely. 
I would say it was life changing to me. Mm-hmm. I learned so much in the Shore program over the summer here at Kent with Dr. Emily Metzger. I learned so much just on how to research, how to go about doing your own research, how to find topics that work for you and where to go after. Yeah, I know you said you weren't expecting to get into research over the summer. I agree it's a life-changing opportunity. It makes me look at my whole field a lot differently. I've never asked this question before because it never really applied to a lot of discussions, but your research is a little different. How does your research change your perception of life in our society? Looking at classics, looking at classical civilizations, historical peoples, definitely gives you a different view on human nature itself. Looking at humans throughout all of recorded history, there are so many trends, so much that repeats, whether it's types of conflict, the way religions develop, cultures, um, technology. I think it was a good step that social media executives and advocates did look back on history to examples like this and decided it was a good idea to cancel Andrew Tate before he had such a huge influence on young men. Because I know he already did, and I know he has already negatively impacted the development of a lot of them, but before it could grow any further. I completely agree. Men like that have should have no say in the future generation's perspectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm all for freedom of speech, but I'm also for a freedom of thought. Young men are very susceptible at that age. When you target certain areas of their life and influence them in a certain way, they do not have a freedom of thought as they are grown. So what else are you going to do with the project going forward? The amazing mentor I've been working with, Dr. Emily Metzger, actually proposed that I either start a podcast of my own or maybe a YouTube channel, and I cover things like history, mythology, all of that, those types of things. Mm -hmm. She thinks that I tell them well and that more people should get engaged in it, which I completely agree. We should learn from our history so we don't repeat it. Right. I think you would do an excellent job in that position. You are always free to use this podcast studio here. I will definitely let my listeners know when you start your show so they can check that out as well. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, Alex, it's been awesome talking with you today. I can't wait for you to start your new show. I'm definitely going to promote it. And when you do start it, come back on the show and let us know. All right. Definitely. Thank you for having me, John. Mm -hmm. Of course. This is, again, your host, John, of The Research Review, creating a platform to inspire. Peace out.